Please turn into your Bibles with me to our scripture reading today of Colossians 3.18 through 4.1 and follow along as I read aloud. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Yeah. Glad to be back. I want to thank everyone for everyone's support last week for us to be able to go to uh, Austin. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew and I were down there. And... Uh, that was a good time uh, of learning and growing uh, in the Lord. I'm, uh, I'm Tom Weichel. I'm uh, one of the lay elders here, if you're visiting with us. And if anybody in the, in the congregation doesn't have a Bible, we have a stack of Bibles in the back. Uh, and uh, feel free to pick that up, follow along, and then keep it as your own if you happen to not have one. The, uh, last week, you know, on the way back, we listened to Chuck's sermon. And uh, there was a lot of uh, just value uh, in how he unpacked that, talking about mercy and forgiveness and, and, and the kinds of, of things that we are to put on. And I think as we prepare to cover a passage like this, we have to keep that in context and remember uh, that as we study as husbands and wives and children and the function of the household, that there are oftentimes opportunities for forgiveness and grace. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Merciful God, I ask that you would just uh, be with us here as we walk through your word. I ask that uh, it would settle into our hearts and our minds, prompt us, and urge us towards the honoring of you in our homes and how we treat each other. In all of our earthly relationships, we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So the passage that we're going to be covering today is well known. Uh, It's well known to most all of us here, I would assume. And it's actually well known across even non-Christians and society at large. It is controversial to many, due not only to the nature of the commands... The establishment of order and structure, which is something that many current societal groups are patently against. But also, this passage has been misused inside some Christian circles to provide cover for sinful behavior. And I believe that this verse has been taken and misused in cultural context too often and not properly pursued in a living Christ-like context. I remember vividly in my own life 
The transition in my personal walk, this verse stands out. I was raised Presbyterian, and when we moved from Houston to Dallas, uh, we went to a Methodist church because it was close to our apartment. I hadn't been raised with lots of theological understanding, and we met some really cool couples there, and we got involved, and we worshiped there. I got involved there, and even after a couple years, was teaching. During this time, I was involved uh, in something called Bible Study Fellowship, and I was growing immensely. As a matter of fact, BSF changed my life. And I grew to be a discussion leader there as well. And so, as I continued to study the Scriptures, I began to grow in my understanding of the bigger pictures of Scripture, and I began to form better understandings of theological truths, and I could feel a drift in the Methodist church towards further liberal interpretations of certain things. And as I studied more and more, my views on baptisms, baptism changed. Terry and I prayed for about two and a half years before we found unity to leave. And there's a whole other story about how God orchestrated some circumstances, and it was just the right timing. But one of the most important things I knew as a dad and as a husband was that if I was going to step out of Bible study fellowship, I had to put myself under and around people who believe the Word of God to be true in its entirety. Now, how on earth does this apply here, you're wondering? It applies because I remember that this was happening in 2000. And in 2000 is when the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was released. And as I was looking at this transition, we were considering Baptist, non-denominational Bible churches. But I remember this vividly because this Baptist Faith and Message One section where they upheld this biblical view of God's order for the family had created a massive firestorm in the media. There were protests in the streets. It was all over the media. And I remember thinking, okay, these folks are serious about what the Bible has to say. And I was like, maybe that's where we need to be. Not only does this passage deal a frontal attack to many modern ideas, it advocates an order in the home that's defined biblically, the created order, and a Christological understanding as well. It is countercultural to bind things, and it brings angst, especially to the non-Christian world. What's most strange to me is when inside the church, Believers rebel against the clear teaching of Scripture. However, when we live our lives in the biblical God-ordained way, it impacts the society around us. Christianity has and still does have a redeeming influence on the world. Philippians 2.15 says, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. 1 Peter 2.2 2. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Today's passage has very straightforward comments, commands to wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, and masters. Many commentators believe that Paul is possibly applying a Christ-centered explanation of something referred to here as the Greco-Roman culture, the household code, instructions for husbands and wives, parents to kids, and masters to slaves. And there's extra biblical texts that show this. And first and foremost, what we're studying today is rules for Christian households. And having this structure is important in any setting or home. But Paul is distinctly bringing the presence of Christ into the home. And he is establishing here that Christ is the head. So it's very important for this set of verses to be understood in where it fits in Colossians, I believe. I have strong conviction in this. So if you would, look with me, get your Bibles, and let's look at Colossians. And we're going we're gonna to see why it's positioned where it is. <clears throat> Paul started with what he had heard about the Colossians all the way back in chapter 1. He, had, he was hearing about that. He had never visited them. He was hearing about their behavior in Christ. And then what Paul establishes in this letter that he wrote, which was to be read to them, in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, he establishes this new creation order of Christ. This new creation that Christ is preeminent over all things and all things were created through Christ and for Christ. That was in verses 15 through 20. Now, This new creation is participated in by those who believe in Christ and are identified with his death and resurrection. Look with me in 2.20. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive, do you submit to its regulations? And then in 3.1-6, If then you have been raised with Christ, the things that are above where Christ is seated, set your minds on things that are above. And in 9 through 10, put off the old self. Now, because we have died to this old self and this old world, it also now says that we are to overcome the power of sin. In that same section, it says that we are put to death what is earthly and sinful in us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And then it says very clearly that we are to live according to the pattern of the resurrected Christ in the new creation. We are to put on compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And this culminates in 12 through 16 with verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. Now, 
Paul now starts to particularly apply the expectations of how this is to be lived out in everyday life, the family and the workplace. A household ordered like this is almost otherworldly to the non-believer, and in some respects it is. Because we are living for the Christ that is to return. And we are living in light of that truth. And someone who is not a believer is perplexed at how this works itself out in the home. Observing you as you love and care and have order in your home. Now, I think it's also fitting that we have to interpret this passage in light of Ephesians. So we got to turn back a couple pages in your Bible to Ephesians 5.22. It's a long section. There's a few added commentary words or phrases in here that are important. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. I'll stop there. Now, Before I go further, I want to bring your attention to something. Both of those passages have a lot of overlap. Do you, you guys see that? Very similar structure. Now, when I was a teacher at our previous church, uh, I would either teach on a Sunday morning classroom style setting or seminars on Sundays and Wednesday evenings. And I created a set of lessons on marriage and parenting with another friend of mine. We used them several times. I used them three or four different times every few years. And then some of the other guys would also use them. But every time before we discussed marriage, before I would start into the passage on wives submit to your husbands, we spent several weeks on the previous two chapters. So if you look with me carefully here at Ephesians, before you get to wives submit to your husbands, look back at chapter 4. And start with 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them 
They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him to put off your old self. I have strong belief that to properly work out in the home, the husband, wife, child, functioning relationship, we must understand where we are as Christ followers individually. Because if the home is to be brought under Christ, we must individually be serving Christ. It doesn't work any other way. The reason I would say, for example, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ever been in a conversation with someone close to you and some unwholesome talk came out? We're to put aside anger. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor be put away from you. Do you see, as Chuck preached last week, these things that we are to put on, if we are actively putting off sin and putting on these, these conditions of, of uh, love and humility and kindness, it shapes the relationship. It's critical. Now, it also says that we are to let the peace of Christ umpire in our hearts. God's word is to be taking up residence or dwelling in us, richly teaching and admonishing us. Dwelling implies moving in, setting up camp, and establishing itself as a home, not visiting. Dads, moms, God's word should come and take residence, not visit What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, it's not the high that comes from sitting in a sermon, oh, you know, I should do this. I ought to do. What it needs to create is do. It needs to create the follow-through. It's not like a high from a retreat or this really short stimulation. It transforms. It impacts. It orients our life appropriately where we are doing Christianity, not thinking about doing it. We should be moved in deed and action, active in a battle for holiness, striving for Christ-likeness. Now, let's look in some detail. It says, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. If you look at your outline, I tried to get a visual Appreciate Mel trying to work with me on this. Uh, you know, I was trying to get that, but you see I've got Jesus Christ as the head, and then I've got as is fitting in the Lord. We're going to unpack that a little bit in detail. And we've got the three different sections under there. But this is this first thing. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This word submit means to place under. It has an action associated with that which is willful and not compulsory. 
The idea of proper order and structure does not only appear here, but we see the created order. 1 Timothy 2.13, it says Adam was created first, then Eve. And in 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Submission does not imply inferiority, because we know that we worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in here, Paul is laying this out. Same word. As is fitting in the Lord gives us the context that a woman submits to her husband, she is honoring the Lord. And this also is bound in the context of biblical principles and not required if her husband is trying to extract sinful, unbiblical acts. Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Men, this verse cannot be used as a license for you to demand a sinful response. Let's look carefully at the passage. Verse 18. As is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. Verse 22. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. And verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. It's pretty clear through this passage that every bit of this is placed under the headship of Jesus Christ. Now, husbands. It says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The New American Standard says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. It's pretty straightforward here. Context, Ephesians passage is helpful. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, we know that Christ had much love for the church, don't we? He prayed for his church. He was zealous for his church. He was zealous for the purity of his church. He pursued her, and he came and died for her. Here we have the concept of sacrificial love, and we are called to live with our wives in an understanding way, and therefore to not be harsh with them. Sacrificial love, it seems best described as a type of fighting and taming or putting to death selfishness. This is not so easy. In Ephesians, it says to love our wives as ourselves or as ourself. And the battle, I think, is self-prioritization to the detriment of others. So we have to be careful in this pursuit of this. Now, my friend Hal we were teaching a men's study one time, and he tells this story about himself. He had been doing a men's study with some other brothers, and they had read this passage on sacrificial love. Okay? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So Hal went home that afternoon, and he happened to be talking with Beth, who's his wife. 
And he was, kind of, he was all motivated and amped up. You know, after this verse, it was like, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. So he told Beth, he said, you know, Beth, I love you so much I would take a bullet for you. And she, I mean, you know, and, and she graciously responded and told how. She said, you know, I really appreciate that. I, I really do. And then she said, what I really need is, would you switch the laundry in 30 minutes and please go get the kids from soccer practice uh, because I have to leave in the next 15 minutes to go to an appointment. Hal said I was standing there. Uh, 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 okay, I get it. All right, so uh, there you go. Sacrificial love, sometimes I think we want to think about the, the grandiose. But it starts by being faithful with small sacrifices first. Now, men, it's also making sure that the needs of the family are met before personal enjoyments. Providing for the family as is fitting or balanced. Many a man has sacrificed himself on the altar of career in the name of providing for his family. It is making time to be at home and express love with our wives and our children by being present and intentional, involved, and yes, dads, even fun. Playing, rolling around, making the time. It's taking ownership to ensure that God's Word is central to the family. That the family is reading and being taught God's Word and that God is exalted and worshipped. Why is the command about harshness here? I can only speak from personal experience as a husband and a dad. I'm not sure about you, but I can speak for me. It is obvious on my wife's face or my child's face when harsh happens. It's that look back, the eyes, the crumpling of the spirit. It is at this point when a man knows he has crossed the line and needs to repent. I submit to you that if harshness is a prevailing wind in your home and conviction of heart is not evident, you should be alarmed. It is okay to ask for forgiveness. It is not okay to not repent. Where does harshness come from? I think it originates from many places. Fatigue can lead to impatience and low tolerance. Too busy with work or other important tasks or priorities can be met with frustration when our schedule shifts. I would also say that if we find ourselves reacting to things, it can launch anger and frustration. This is not just family, but a reality in workplace and life. So to prevent that intentionality must take its place. 
This is thinking deeply and ahead to what the expectations are for the family, what the schedule is to protect time together, to prepare and train children so as to not be found ill-equipped with no basis for decision-making. Some of my biggest frustrations were when my kids would be found in a mess and dad would feel personally responsible and I would, okay, and then realize that I hadn't done a good job preparing them for that. More on that in a second. Sometimes harshness arises when we're surprised, when our pride is encroached upon and maybe we're a little embarrassed. To summarize this before we move into the children, properly functioning husband and wife relationships include the husband leading as he pursues Christ's likeness, the woman willingly placing herself under his leading as she pursues Christ's likeness, not trying to usurp his authority. The husband's leading includes sacrificial love without harshness and bitterness towards his wife. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is a command with a promise that will go well with you. The word obey here is different from the word submit in the previous verse. This is literally listen under your parents. This means to really listen to mom and dad and do what they're asking you to do. Most kids really love and appreciate boundaries and expectations. When they're 25, looking back. I've had great conversations recently with my adult children about how they look back now and they're okay with some of the boundaries that we had put in place and how they see the value of it in the rearview mirror. But at the time, at the time, it wasn't always easy to hold that line as a dad but a well-functioning home must have order and it includes properly defined and well-set expectations children middle schoolers and high schoolers the reason mom and dad have boundaries and expectations is because they love you it's because they love you To have, to not have them would be to not love you. Whether it's an expectation for a task or a chore, such as cleanliness of the room or making these chores or tasks prerequisites for privileges, it could be discerning when access to a cell phone is acceptable. And all this gets related back to the maturity and responsibility that you demonstrate in the smaller things. When the properly functioning home is in place, it can be extremely uncomfortable to see children openly disrespect their parents. Mom and dad, it is important that for children to be able to succeed in this command, you must help them know and understand how and why the rules or expectations are established. And it is absolutely most helpful if you have biblical principles and references for the basis. You are now creating a biblical mind, a biblical worldview, and you are equipping your child to be able to make biblically responsible decisions. My kids now see why they were the last in their class for a cell phone. They were not allowed to have a TV or any screen in their room. 
Time with games were limited. All laptops and cell phones were required to be plugged in downstairs by 10 p.m. unless you were 18. If there was a term paper or something needed, permission could be granted, but not before we were asking why we had been unproductive leading up to this, such that we had to then ask for a grant on the limit. Uh, and if we had better managed our time, then we probably wouldn't be asking mom and dad for this uh, appeal. It was understood that mom and dad could at any time read texts. If text strings contained unwholesome things, it was expected that you would withdraw yourself from it and notify mom or dad if you could not. If you were proactive in helping us understand things that you were caught in, it went much, much, much better for you. Apps required mom and dad's approval. Curfew was set. Any deviation of it required approval. Arriving at home, you checked in with mom and dad and you let us know you were home. Now, the Bible does not speak directly to what age a cell phone is allowable or exactly what time curfew needs to be. These are matters of wisdom and prudence. And these decisions need to be weighed in light of God's word and in light of the child's demonstrated maturity, self-control, their own honesty, integrity, and purity. Boundaries are widened as maturity and responsibility is demonstrated. It's all about the heart. Parents, you can never perceive every situation that a child will be expected to process and be required to act upon and give them the right answer. If you try to do this, it is almost universally you will err towards overruling. We must equip the kids to apply biblical principles in decision-making so as to honor the Lord. Remember, this passage says that it would go well with them. Children, obey your parents because it pleases who? The Lord. Now, we need to be careful that we understand that ultimately as we're teaching our children to obey us, it is for that purpose to honor the Lord, not us only. We honor God in training them up in the way they should go. And when we endeavor to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, we could go on for scenario after scenario. But to sum this up, where the Bible is clear, such as honesty, kindness, anger, self-control, we apply these into the life and the technology and the scenarios of our time, discerning how to best please the Lord. The fall through begins to be seen as you grow up. And older ones realize that the decisions, the older you get, are costlier. And they have longer lasting and in some cases lifelong ramifications. My friends walked along, my friends, my children walked alongside their friends. Some of their classmates who, who had scholarships revoked when their social media accounts were queried. Or to see them involved in activities that law enforcement ultimately 
was involved in. It is right for mom and dad to love you enough to set boundaries and expectations. Mom and dad, it is right for you to love your kids enough to set proper boundaries and expectations. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Exasperates another word. Used in the NASB for provoke, it can lead to discouragement or despairing. Mom and dad, don't nag your kids. Just set clear expectations and follow through. But no one likes to be nagged. Think about how hard it is to work for someone who is a micromanager or someone who never finds the good in anything or who always moves the bar or who, worse, doesn't set the bar clearly and then reacts volatilely and lays the hammer down. I assure you, you will not find that pleasant. So, unclear or uncommunicated expectations can lead to exasperation. How can one succeed if the expectations aren't clear? Consequences related to disobedience can and should be discussed proactively and agreed to up front. Should minimize surprises. Overreactions or overdisciplining can cause fear. Try to never discipline in anger. Just don't do it. Overprotections cause trust to be hard to form. Children need to know how they have and bring value. Worthwhile accomplishments celebrated. The absence of this, well, is self-explanatory. Just as I mentioned above about consequences needing to be pre-discussed, when kids are making good choices and doing right, let them know. Don't hold back. Let them know when they're doing a great job. Kids need provision. They need to be provided for. They need clean clothes, proper food, a space to grow, to learn, to discover, a place to call their own, if possible. And they need the freedom to inquire. That should be ever emphasized in your home. Do you want them asking you, Dad, for advice? Because they trust you and know that there is no question too small or awkward and that you will always give them the truth? Again, we could spend additional time. I'm hopeful, and one of the things that we have on the list of considerations is these passages done in like an equipping style class where we could go through them over the course of weeks together, families talking about and sharing some of the challenges that you may have. In the meantime, I would encourage us to implore our home groups, prayer nights, other, call, call a brother or sister here in the church and, and hey, Especially if they've got older children and you're going through a particular, you know, challenge. Don't hesitate to ask. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This section on bond servants is obviously fitting for the time of Paul's writing as a household would have most likely contained bond servants and slaves of some kind. Pretty much every household during that time would have had that structure. Slavery, unfortunately, has been part of ancient societies and it has even existed far too recently. 
It has extended across all varieties of people classes, from Israel's bondage to people becoming indentured through loss of wars, and extends to all kinds of unholy and unrighteous treatment of people. Paul is establishing here that believers in Christ extend his lordship into how the work was done and how the interactions were between master and slave. This extends to the attitude with which duties are performed, not merely outwardly, but inwardly, not disobedient, but with sincerity of heart, out of reverence for the Lord, working heartily. And Paul also gave two reasons here. One, positively, from the Lord they will receive an inheritance, which was absolutely unheard of. So this concept that as a slave you would someday have an inheritance, he's speaking here about an eternal inheritance as you serve the Lord. Negatively, discipline could occur in, uh, for wrongdoing. Now, the last appeal says, appeals to the master to treat the slaves with justice and fairness as they would expect to receive from their master in heaven. This was radical teaching. Paul is, Paul is offering a new creation, a view of the social structure at the time, bringing even the household under the headship of Jesus Christ. So how do you modernize that? Well, you know, I've read a variety of commentaries and I've, I've heard a variety of, 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 of parallels. You know, you take some of this to the modern uh, work profession that we have today, employee, employer concept, doing things from the heart, not as an eye pleaser. Have you ever worked around someone who really speeds up the work when the boss is around? But when the boss is not around, kind of hmm. But when the boss is back around, we ramp it back up. Or how about when it comes time for reviews, when the pay is out there and they know that we're coming up on review season, all of a sudden we ramp up that effort and you see they're looking for all kinds of projects. That's, that's what we're talking about, eye-pleasing. You're not working heartily as unto the Lord to bring God the honor. You're a Christ follower. You're identified as a Christ follower. We should be the most productive, joyful people on the earth. Whatever our situation. Work ethic. Now, the premise here is that Christ transforms all earthly relationships. Christ transforms all earthly relationships. So let's close. Wives, husbands, children, parents, fathers, employees, employers, wherever you fit. A few questions to close. How are you keeping Christ as the head of your home? First and foremost, is Christ the head of you? Is Christ the head of me? The premise I had all along is we had to be born again. We have to be coming in as individuals to have the home brought under the entirety of Christ. How would I evaluate myself in the context of Colossians 2, 6 through 3, 17? The putting off and the putting on. Have I been raised with Christ? Is my mind set on things above? Am I putting off what is earthly and sinful in me? Am I putting on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and am I bearing with others? Is the peace of Christ umpiring in my heart? Is God's word taking up residence in me, shaping all of my attitudes and wants? The last statement, it will be hard for Christ to be the head of our home if I am not first under Christ.
Let's pray. Gracious God, as we walk through a passage like this, it's going to hit all of us in different ways. Some of us will find encouragement in um, some areas and discouragement or awareness of needs to improve or change in others. And so, Lord, I just ask that your grace would be sufficient to compel all of us forward to use a passage like this, Lord, for self-reflection and evaluation and that we would walk with it as your word takes up residence in us, transforming us, O Lord, I ask that you would make it evident. We now spend some time. We're going to go to the table we're going to celebrate what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.